0: welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, but keep those Keep those fingers limber because we are going to be making our way through Scripture. So start there in Ephesians chapter 5. A number of years ago, I was sitting at our... We were in seminary at the time. I was sitting at our pastor's home after the Father's Day service, and I was reading the newspaper. For those of you under the age of 18, they used to have these things that were printed... And you could make money, actually deliver these things to people's homes. They were called newspapers. Google it. I promise you it was a real thing. And on this Father's Day, the Philadelphia Inquirer had decided to publish an article entitled, Are Fathers Necessary? Turns out this uh, article had been printed in the Atlantic, had been printed in the New York Times, and was published in the Philadelphia Inquirer on this particular Father's Day. And in this article, I'm just going to give you the gist of the article, save you the pain of reading it. In this article, the author compared uh, two studies that had been done. One was the study of children who were raised in single-father homes. And this was compared to children who were raised in single-mother homes, and there was a comparison made. And let me just say, I know single father homes. I have men that I know who are raising their children on their own. And uh, we're, we're going to say some things today, but you are a hero to me. I don't think I could do it. It would be such a challenge. What a task. But would you be surprised to find out that in general, again, just in general, would you be surprised to find out That in general, single moms are more attentive to the needs of their children than single dads. Would that surprise anyone in this room? In fact, here's what I'd like to do this morning. I would like us to run this study live in this room right now, and I just want to run it in the, I want to run it in the Messler family, okay? I did not give the children forewarning on this, okay? Okay? But uh, Bryn and Grant, and I think Levi's coming in from the orchestra, we're going we're gonna to run a little test. We're going to run this study, and you guys are going to help me out, okay? I want you to imagine a month during the school year. So let's just pick September, okay? Bryn, you with me? Grant, you with me? Okay. A month where mom's at home and dad's gone versus a month where dad is at home and mom is gone. Okay, and we're just going to vote. Okay, on your left for mom, on your right for dad. Okay, how many home-cooked nutritious meals (laughs) that include a vegetable? Would it be more during the month that mom's at home or more when dad's at home? So again, mom over here, you vote. Okay, you guys can help me out, vote. Just raise your hand. If you want to participate, if you want to guess along with the kids. Okay, so we're over here. So mom gets that one. Okay. Okay. Um, on time arrivals at music lessons. More with mom or more with dad? <laughs> mom. Okay, that's an emphatic. Bryn had her hand up quickly. <laughs> more loads of laundry. Mom or dad? Mom. Okay. General cleanliness of the home. More. Hey, Levi, we're we're doing something. You got to get to your seat. <laughs> more with mom or more with dad? Mom, okay. Boxes of Little Caesar's pizza, mom or dad? (laughs) Yeah, all right. I'm on the board. (laughs) Yeah. That's no surprise at all, is it? God may have geared moms to be a little more attentive to the needs of their children. God gave kids dads so that they would have fun. And he gave them moms so that they were they would survive. Okay, <laughs> so this is no surprise that in general, in general, again these are generalities that a single mom does a better job than a single dad. So the author of this article extrapolated from that that the ideal home situation for children would be one with two moms. And in the article argued that maybe in the hunter-gatherer days, maybe during the times of an agrarian culture, that dads had a use. But in the days of modern technology and the modern advancements of civilization, on Father's Day in the Philadelphia Inquirer, this this author said, that fathers are maybe not as necessary as we have thought them to be. I have thought a long time about a theological word to describe that article, and here is what I have come up with. This is a Greek word, okay? That article is (laughs) stupidas. so dumb that it could only be published in newspapers like the New York Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer, and so malicious that they would print it on Father's Day. I mean, that editor, think about that. That editor sat on that article and decided, you know what, I'm going to publish this, I'm going to publish this on Father's Day. That fathers are not necessary. I am not trying to be crude in what I'm about to say but that article essentially reduced the role of fathers in the life of children to nothing more than a sperm donor. And if we don't understand that that is exactly what our society is trying to do with dads today, we don't understand what's going on in our world. The answer of our society today is that dads are not necessary. And I just want to say today, my friends that in the face of that message coming from our chaotic culture, I want to declare to us today, my friends, dads are necessary. As we look across our society, do you know that 85% of all males that are incarcerated come from homes that don't have dads? Do you know what the mass shootings that happen in our country have in common? By the way, that's... Regardless of race, socioeconomic status, cuts across all of those different ways we tend to stratify our society. It cuts across all of those. Do you know what all these mass shootings, whether it's a mass shooting in a, in a gang shootout in an inner city or whether it's a shooting at a school in suburban America, do you know what all those shooters almost universally have in common? No dad at home. In fact, I would, I would say to you that I think one of the major reasons for all the, the things we see going on in our culture is the absolute epidemic of fatherlessness in our land today. And so on Father's Day, we need to plant the flag and say this, fathers are necessary. Why are fathers necessary? Fathers are necessary because as God created humanity, he created an authority structure within the home. We see that clearly laid out for us in the opening pages of the book of Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. And then as that passage unfolds, we see that the spiritual authority, the spiritual headship of the home is entrusted to dads. And I know that in our society today that is not a popular message But when you start messing with God's authority structure, you start causing problems. And there is no mistake about it. The man is the head of the home. The Bible establishes male headship both in the home and in the church. I want you to see here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 he addresses this message to husbands and he says this Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her And then if you skip down to verse 4, speaking directly to fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This passage is clearly establishing the spiritual headship in the home on the dad. Now I want to explain this just a little bit because we can start to get confused and we can start to get, get off in the wrong direction on this. I know that when I say that, that is not the cultural message today. But my friends, that order that God establishes in the home is actually a reflection of the order that God has, that, that exists in the Trinity. Now, this, is, this gets a little theological here, but hang on this with me for just a moment. In saying that the head of the home is the dad and that the wife is to be submitted to her husband, that the children are to obey the father, is not to say that the wife or the children are less than the father you see before God everyone has the same worth and value and we actually see this truth reflected in the trinity let me ask you a question is Jesus Christ the son of God submissive to his father did the son obey the father okay let me ask you the follow-up question is the son because he obeyed the father less than what the father is Are you guys with me? The son is exactly what the father is. Just because I have headship in my home does not mean that before God my wife is worth less than I am. In fact, if you know the both of us, you know quite well who's worth more. (laughs) And just because I'm the head of the home does not mean before God that I have a greater standing or more importance or more worth than my children. Is the spirit less than the father or less than the son? No. So you see, we've got to get through this. Our culture cannot manage this. But we've got to get through this. Just because someone is entrusted with authority within a venue by God does not mean they have more worth than anybody else. This happens within the church. My friends, within the church, the man is entrusted with spiritual authority. The pastor is invested with spiritual authority. Pastor Ken is our spiritual authority. He is my spiritual authority. That doesn't mean that before God, he has a greater standing or more worth than anybody else in our church. It just means that he's been entrusted with authority. We got to be crystal clear on that. And then we have to be crystal clear about God's purpose for giving dad's authority within the home. And this, my friends, is where we get into dangerous territory because I've been around ministry and counseling enough to know that within the church, I'm not just talking about there, I mean within the church, that far too often there are men whom God has given spiritual authority and they do not use that spiritual authority in a way that honors God. I want you to see right here in this text, the, the man is the head of the home. What does he do with that spiritual authority? It says, husbands, love your wives. Why does God give you authority in your home? Fathers, it is so that you can serve your family spiritually. God does not give dads authority so that they can use that authority to bend the will of their children so that their lives will be quiet. And peaceful. A lot of dads are addicted to peace and quiet. But that is not why God gives you authority in your home. He doesn't give you authority so that you can get everyone around you to serve you. He gives you authority so that you have the ability to spiritually serve everyone else around you. And when we don't get that right, we really mess up as dads. I want to speak clearly to dads this morning. Please hear me. God has given you authority within your home, but he expects you to use that authority in a way that matches his heart. We see how God uses authority. When God uses his authority, he always does it with grace and truth. And this is, how, this is how God expects us as dads to use the authority that he's given us. We're to wield the sword of authority within our families for the spiritual well-being of those around us. We're to use this with grace and truth. And in fact, I don't think there's anyone as dangerous as someone who claims a God-given authority but uses that authority for their own selfish aims. And somewhere along the line, even in Christians' homes, fathers can become abusive. So as I proclaim... Boldly today, that dads are to have the authority in the home, please also hear me clearly say, dads, you are to use that authority in a way that resembles God for the spiritual well-being of your wife and children. That's why God gave you that authority. It's important that we understand this. My friends, we live in a day when we need dads, who are going to take spiritual authority, who are going to use that spiritual authority for the spiritual well-being of their wives and children. Listen to verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What would cause that? That would be the selfish use of that authority that God has given. But bring them up in what? The training and admonition of the Lord. God has a purpose for me as a dad within my home. The way that I relate to my kids is supposed to reflect and resemble God so that my role as dad becomes a springboard for my children to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. I really believe that that Christian dads are either a springboard for that relationship or they are a hurdle to that relationship. Does the name Father conjure up images of godly characteristics? Or does the name Father conjure up images in the hearts of our children of someone who's mad, angry, selfish, passive, disengaged? My friends, a lot of our kids are being raised by a Diet Coke, a remote control, and a lazy boy. Disengaged dads. That's not what the Bible's calling us to. I know you hear it said all the time that the problem in America is the absence of prayer and scripture in the schools. I'm here to tell you there's something far more deadly and that's the absence of prayer and scripture in our homes. So this is what God's calling us to. I believe that the scripture, especially in this 21st century and our culture in America is calling for us to be fathers, fathers, of fortitude. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 1, Fathers of fortitude. I want to give you a definition for fortitude. Fathers of fortitude. I believe that fortitude is this. It is conviction plus courage plus constancy. Conviction plus courage plus constancy, constancy equals fortitude. I mean, you might come home from this message and say, wow, I was really encouraged by the word that I need to have more prayer and Bible reading in the home. And so you take up that mantle and for the next week, it's like from from six to nine is Bible time with dad, okay? And out of that zeal and conviction, you do that, but you're not going to sustain that over time. It's important that we have that constancy, But being a dad in 21st century America is going to require some courage. And I want you to see a biblical example of a dad of fortitude, a father of fortitude. Look with me. This is maybe a dad that sometimes we overlook, but this is the earthly father that was supplied for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to see this in verse 18, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, after his mother was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then her husband, and could you read this next phrase? Are you there with me? This is Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19. Could you read this next phrase with me? It says this, okay. Then Joseph, her husband, read it with me. Being a a just man. That's the word righteous. We could say it here. Being a righteous man. And not wanting to put her away and make her a public example because of the compassion that was in his heart. Joseph is described as a just man. Now, I want you to notice what the angel says when he speaks to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do you see it there? Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not what? Be, are you guys with me? Do not what? Be afraid. Have courage. Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. God was calling Joseph to conviction and courage. He's just found out that his betrothed bride is pregnant. If he had gone down to the local synagogue and asked The Pharisee at the local synagogue, hey, my betrothed is pregnant, what should I do? What would the Pharisee at the local synagogue in Nazareth have told Joseph to do? Shame her. If they could get away with it, stone her. You cannot allow this shame to yourself and to your family. That culture was, was an honor culture. You're, you cannot take this. This is a blight. What disrespect she has had for you. You put her away and you put her away publicly. That was the cultural morality. But what does Joseph do? He gets up and he leaves his house. And you got to understand the imagery of the Jewish wedding He walks from the house that he has been preparing for his new family to live in. He walks through the streets of this little village. And usually this would be done to great fanfare, but he goes to Mary's house and he brings the pregnant Mary with him through the streets of Nazareth. Oh, do you think the tongues were wagging in Nazareth? Do you know what Joseph confirmed for everybody? when he took her as his wife, that he was the dad. That's what everyone thought. Because in that society and culture, no one would have raised someone else's child. And he took that upon himself. And we know when we examine what the Pharisees and other people were saying about Jesus, we know that the reputation that Joseph and Mary had been immoral before their marriage, that that reputation had not gone anywhere years later, 30 years later. As Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, they're still accusing him of being an illegitimate child. I mean, did it take conviction? I mean, who's ever heard of a child being conceived by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, likely story. I mean, are you going to be able to explain that to your dad and your uncles and your family members at the next family reunion? Did it take some faith and conviction? Did it take some courage for Joseph to follow through with the marriage? And did it take some constancy on his part? I mean, I appreciate this about Joseph. From the time that he was married until the baby was born, Joseph did not have relations with Mary. Mary that's constancy that's committed that's commitment and we don't have a lot of other details about joseph's life except we see this snippet in in luke chapter 12 or luke chapter 1 where they take jesus luke chapter 2 they take jesus down to the temple on an annual basis there was a commitment in joseph's heart to raising jesus as best he knew in the fear and admonition of the lord It took courage, conviction, and constancy. And I want you just to turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to understand that Joseph stood in between the cultural morality of his day. He stood up for being righteous and just. In this scenario, he did. The Bible tells us there in in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19 that Joseph did what he did because he was a righteous man. And for the rest of his life, and we don't know exactly how long he lived, but for the rest of his life, he suffered the persecution of being accused of being an immoral person, but he did it because of his convictions. He stood in between his family and the cultural pressure that was around him. And I just wonder if Jesus is not thinking about his own father, earthly father, Joseph, when he speaks the word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Joseph was someone who, for the sake of doing what was right, was persecuted by his society and culture. And my friends, I want you to hear me. Fathers, I want you to hear me. There is a need right now for fathers of fortitude to stand in between their families and the cultural values that are out there. Satan is after your kids. Disney is no friend of grace trying to help your kids on the way to God. Netflix is a portal of sewage. The internet should not be unguarded in your house. My kids don't have smartphones yet. And I'm sometimes reminded of this. But my friends i would rather have my sons go to heaven with a dumb phone than to go to hellfire with the latest iphone and you've got to stand against it because i know there are second graders coming to school with iphone 14 pros so sometimes you got to stand against i'm not telling you when to buy your kids a cell phone i'm just telling you that you cannot be passive in our culture today You've got to stand in between our culture and its morals. And we've got to stand for truth. Let's be men. We can take it. God will help us. And Joseph was a wonderful example of this. My friends, fathers are necessary. Can I tell you that Father's Day is one of the hardest days to preach? Because, you know, not everybody grew up in a home like I grew up in. I know this is true. I'm going to say some things right now that are easier for me to say than they are for some of you to live out. I grew up in a home where I have a father that I can point to as an example, a springboard to my own walk with God. But I understand that not everyone in this room grew up in a home like that. Some of you have dads who did not do that for you. To be honest, you have to overcome the example that they set. I know this is true. Some of you have dads, they may still be living, but in terms of that spiritual obligation that I described, you'd have to say they were more a dud than a dad. And I know that's true, and I know today can be painful. I woke up this morning, I was thinking of friends that are spending their first Father's Day without their father here Their father is in heaven. I was thinking about people that I have served and ministered to and done counseling with that don't have the story I have. But can I say something to those of you that are in that category? Your dad may have been abusive, may have fallen short. I know all of these stories are true. You may not know even who your dad is. But can I say something to you if you're in that spot? Fathers are necessary. Would you turn to some hope-filled passages with me? Would you turn to the book of Psalms? How about this? Psalm 68. I want you just to uh, turn in your your Bible there because I want you to see these verses in the pages of Scripture, especially if what I'm describing is you. Listen to these hope-filled words. Psalm 68. And I want to read to you starting in verse 5. This is a description of God. Psalm 68 and verse 5, a description of God. Who is God? God is a father. Are you guys with me? Could you read this description of God with me? God is a father of the fatherless. He is a defender of widows. In God is his holy habitation. He sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Turn with me to Hosea chapter 14. Keep those fingers limber. We're going all over the place. Hosea chapter 14. I want you to hear a description of our Father in heaven. It's the very last sentence of Hosea chapter 14 and verse 3. A powerful statement. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 3 says this. For in you, notice the capital that is in Yahweh, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. Compassion. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you will quickly find out that our Father in heaven is acutely aware of the fatherless. He's acutely aware of the orphan. And, and certainly the, the first and primary application of that is to people whose fathers have literally passed away, who are orphaned, whose fathers have died. But I think we can clearly see that that extends beyond just the literal death of a father, that there is a spiritual fatherlessness that our Father in heaven is concerned about. And so if you don't have the advantage that I have of having a faithful father... God has not missed that fact about your life. He has noticed it, and he cares about it. He cares about it so much that in his Old Testament law, he built right into the constitution of the nation of Israel that they would take care of the fatherless, that he would place the solitary in families. And my friends, God does this today. Would you please hear me? God does this today in the church. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16? I want to speak hope into the life of people who on this Father's Day might be struggling as you think about your own history and situation. Acts chapter 16 describes a young man named Timothy. Listen to the description of Timothy's family. Acts chapter 16 in verse 1. Then he, that is Paul came to Derby in Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. The son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. The implication of that phrase, but his father was Greek, was not just of his ethnicity, but it was that the mom, Timothy's mom, was a believer, but his dad wasn't a believer. And so here's Timothy growing up in a home. And by the way, we, we, we need to just say to single moms, who whatever the circumstances are that have brought you to that place where you are a single mom, you are doing the work of the Lord. When you, like this woman did with her son, brought him up to know the Scriptures, had him in church, that's where he met Paul. You keep it up. It is hard, but you keep it up. And we as the church need to help our single moms But what was God doing for Timothy? Who did not have, he had a physical father, yes, but he didn't have a father in that spiritual sense. He was spiritually fatherless. Well, turn to the book of 1 Timothy. I want you to see how Paul addresses Timothy as he writes him these two personal letters. I warned you, we had to keep those fingers going, okay? Keep them warm. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope, to Timothy. What's next? My true son in the faith. That word true there means genuine. We're not playing here. Paul says, you're my son. Not biologically. But that mom had that son in church. And when they were at church one day, this man Paul walks in. Paul wasn't even his spiritual father in the sense that he had Led Timothy to the Lord. We learn in 2 Timothy that he had from a child known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The indication there is likely that Paul had actually been saved underneath the witness of his faithful mom and grandma. But their lives in church intersected, and Timothy found a dad, a spiritual father. Let me tell you what a spiritual father is a spiritual father is a man who uses his wisdom, his counsel, his understanding of the Word of God to invest in your life, not for his good, but for your spiritual well-being. What a dad is supposed to do at home, spiritual fathers are supposed to do within the church. And my, fa- my friends, I believe from the top of my head to the tip of my toes that in a society where there is an epidemic of fatherlessness, one of the hopes for that is the church. Where a young man can come to faith in Christ. A young woman can come faith to Christ. And when she walks in these doors, she sees examples of spiritual men. People who are willing to invest in their lives for a spiritual purpose. For that person's spiritual well-being. In 2 Timothy, a second time. In the first chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul says, addresses Timothy, and he calls him in that time, not my true son, here he calls him in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, Timothy, my beloved son. And then as Paul lays out how the church is supposed to function, we see examples of the older women teaching the younger women And we see examples of the wise and spiritually minded men teaching those who are spiritually fatherless. My friends, I am so thankful to be a member of Tri-City Baptist Church. And I'm trying. One of the reasons Father's Day is hard to preach is because as you're preaching, you realize how far you fall short as the preacher. I'm trying in my home to do what God has told me to do as a father. But I'm so thankful that that when I walk into this congregation, I have other men who are investing in the lives of my sons. I am greatly aided by this church in the task of trying to rear my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm a third-generation Baptist preacher. That may put a little pressure on Levi and Grant at times. But not from me. If God called one of my sons to be a preacher, I would be tickled pink. But you know what else I'd be tickled pink by? I'd be tickled pink if one of if God called my sons to be godly men who serve their church and serve however God gifts them and, and gives them the ability to do it. And I'm so glad that I can come to Tri-City Baptist Church and I can say, son, that is what a godly engineer looks like. That's what a godly businessman looks like. That's what a godly man working trades looks like. That's what it looks like. I can point to our pastors I'm so thankful for the investment of godly men like Pastor Ken, Pastor Jason, Matt Utley, Andrew Miller, Robbie Dominguez. I shouldn't have started naming names because I'm going to get in trouble, but you get it, right? But I'm so glad that outside of our pastoral staff, we have godly men in this church. Yesterday, we were at the prayer meeting, and I was sitting across from Tom Bowder. Pastor Tom Bowder, who's not here this morning, because at 88 years old, he's filling as an interim pastor. Pastor. He has to preach on a stool twice a week. And as we were driving from the men's prayer breakfast, I just told my boys, I said, that is a godly example. And, And listen, if you're coming from a place where you don't have a spiritual father at home, let me ask you to come into this place with an open hand and an open heart towards men who want to invest in you spiritually and purposely bring yourself under that spiritual authority. You don't sign the rights of your life over to them. I'm just saying you, you submit yourself to the godly counsel of godly men who want to invest in your life for a spiritual purpose. And my friends, if you are one of those godly men who wants to invest in the life of other people, look around you. Find someone that you can pour your life into. Let's be that family that God places the solitary in the midst of. Let's serve each other. Because, my friends, fathers are necessary. And if you didn't have a father in your home who set you a godly example day by day, God has supplied for you godly men who will set a godly example for you. And it might not be day by day, but it'll be week after week if you'll place yourself right here in the church. That's what God did for Timothy. Fathers are necessary. We all need godly men investing in our lives for our spiritual well being. And we have that right here at Tri City Baptist Church. But, my friends, fathers are necessary. And there is one relationship that is more necessary than any other relationship. We've talked about fathers in the home, we've talked about spiritual fathers in the church, but the most necessary relationship for any one of us to have is the relationship with our Heavenly Father. My, my friends, God created this world, He put humans into it, and humans didn't take long to mess it up. Sin entered into this world, and when sin entered into this world, the the open relationship that Adam and Eve had with their Heavenly Father was breached. But I've got good news this morning. You may not have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, but your Heavenly Father wants to have a relationship with you. And in the person of Jesus Christ, He has made a way for you to have that relationship. And my friends, it is absolutely necessary for you, even if you don't have a father at home or a spiritual father, it is absolutely necessary for you to have a relationship with your heavenly father. And there is only one way to have that. And that is through Jesus Christ who came into this world, lived a sinless and perfect life, went to the cross. And on the cross, he took the sin that you have committed. He took the sin of everything, And everyone in this world upon himself, he experienced the chastisement of our sins. And he did that for our sake so that we wouldn't have to suffer that same separation from God. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, trusting not our good works, definitely not our good looks, not trusting our talents, not trusting our heritage, but trusting just Jesus Christ. When we place our trust and faith in him, our relationship with our heavenly father is restored. The moment that I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior, I had, a, I had a good earthly father. But the moment I placed my faith and trust in Jesus, I had a relationship with my heavenly father. And at that moment, and that relationship is direct, my friends, that relationship is direct and personal. God lives in me. The spirit of God dwells right here. And the book of Romans tells us in chapter 8 that that spirit of God that dwells in me cries out, "Abba, ah, Father." I have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And you might lack a father at home. You might not have a spiritual father in your life, but if you've got a relationship with the creator of the universe, that's enough. And that is necessary. I was preaching at a camp a few years ago. And I preached a message on despair at a teen camp. I have learned, by the way, that the day after I preach that message on despair at a teen camp, I've got to clear my schedule because I will have one counseling situation after another, after another, after another, after another. There's an absolute epidemic of teen suicide in our country. I've counseled that. It camps over and over and over again. And I remember this one particular day, a young lady came up to me after I preached that message. She said, I need to talk to you. She said, I've committed suicide. I've attempted to commit suicide three times. And the last time she'd attempted it was the week before camp. So I actually made an appointment with her the next day, and she and her counselor and I sat at the back of the chapel. And we just started to unpack that situation. She was a beautiful young lady with lots of friends. She had been right in the middle of all the activities of camp. She was well-liked by her peers. I mean, if, if from the outside, you would just think this young lady is she's got it all going on. She had a testimony of knowing the Lord. I examined that. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? She had a testimony of that. And then we began to talk about the relationship that she had with her father. And she told me sitting at the back of that room some of the words that her father has used in her life, some of the names that he uses for her, And she shared those unabashedly right with me and her counselor at the back of the chapel. And my friends, those are words I cannot repeat in this room. And this man is is calling his daughter these things. And she said, I have not always been exactly what I should have been as a daughter. And by the way, this is an allegedly Christian dad. And he is speaking absolutely vile things into the life of his daughter. And she was believing him. That's who she thought she was because that's what her dad told her she was. That's why she's attempted suicide three times. And as I thought about that story, I thought about my life. I was about six years old, and my dad was a pastor of a church in New Mexico. And I was with him at the church, he was working, and uh, we were leaving the church. And my dad couldn't find his wallet. He had set it down somewhere in the church and he couldn't find it in his office and he set it down somewhere. And I was with him and he came up to me and this is what he said to me. He said, Nathan, I have noticed that you are very observant. I was like, well, yes I am. <laughs> A man who I had never known to lie told me, That I was observant. That might have been his first lie. (laughs) I'm sure he meant it. But if you know me, this is not true. Okay. But you know what? I believed it. Because he told me. And I remember, I was going to find the wallet. No one else was going to find that wallet. Captain observant was here. I was going to find the wallet. That man spoke belief into my life when he told me. My friends, words are powerful. Dads, listen to me. Your words are powerful. What are you speaking to your children? Is it the truth of who they are before God? And I'm not saying we let things go by. I'm not saying we slide. But I'm saying we speak truth. And as I looked at that young lady who was believing all of these things that her dad was telling her, I just had to tell her, you've got to believe what your heavenly father says about you. My friends, it is necessary for us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And my friends, more important than what I say to you, more important than what anyone else says about you, what is important is what your Heavenly Father says about you. And if you are in Christ, you are loved. And you are in an immutable relationship with the Creator of the universe. You are co-heirs with Christ if you are in Christ. My friend, fathers are necessary. Would you please pray with me?